latest episode of our award-winning podcast, we'll continue our discussion about quality in healthcare. Welcome to Modern Practice. I'm your host, Dr. Tom Villanueva, Senior Principal for Operations and Quality at Vizient and Practicing Internist. Joining me again for Vizient are Angela Hunt, Principal for Clinical Documentation, and Dr. Rick May, Senior Principal for Clinical Quality Improvement. Angela and Rick, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having us again. Thank you, Tom. Always a pleasure to be here. So let's briefly recap our discussion from the last episode. I mean, what are the contributing factors that it's affecting quality nowadays? Angela? We discussed staffing, process, and electronic interventions that don't necessarily improve quality, but yet are required as a component of a healthcare system. And I'll add on to that. I think the other things that we talked about last time was really this issue about the fact that clearly I think the mission, the focus of the hospital is still in the right place. They're focused on quality. They're focused on care for their patients. It really comes down to, as Angela was alluding to, really this issue about resources, about having enough people to take care of the basic issues, the basic ways we provide care. And that's, I think, where we've been hit in such a big way. We've lost people. We've lost that knowledge, that institutional knowledge. And because of that, there's no amount of really technology you could throw at that to kind of fill in the blanks, really make up for where we are today. Yeah. And I also like to add that the issue that documentation is not showing the clinical truth on the patient's care. We know patients are sicker. We know patients are older, but the notes are not reflecting that. And when I've been doing work with Angela, I've also noted that the copying and pasting with little to no editing is a major issue for that as well. Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. Copying and pasting is always a challenge in every organization that we look at medical records on. And so it's multifactorial. Sometimes go to hospitals and say, hey, we have folks on the coding and documentation. And sometimes you get pushback from the providers about, ah, you're trying to do this just so you can save some dollars. And we make the point is this isn't just about finance. This is about really understanding our patients at a core level. And because of that, because we have that broader, more comprehensive knowledge of them, we're able to provide a lot better care. And so I think there's a problem for multiple levels. You know what? I would agree with that too. And Vizian's vulnerability index is one of those areas where we start to really look at data and correlate where a particular encounter had a high risk. And that risk is determined upon those social determinants of health. And in some cases, we see that they're getting documented more often, but from a consistency standpoint, we're not there yet. And I think that's going to be a crucial point going forward, even for CMS. They put all kinds of incentives for those code to be added to records. So it's going to be important for us to be able to get that done over the next few years so that we can start to have a real understanding of where that vulnerability lies and how to manage it. So how do organizations need to act differently in their approach to clinical care? I mean, we understand they need to do more with less, but there also has to be less of a burden. So how do they go about that? Well, Tom, I'll just jump on this one. I think one of the things we focus a lot with hospitals is exactly this idea about how do we think differently than we did before? This isn't about, hey, I'm going to find an extra $100 million next year and just buy a bunch more people and make it happen. That's not a solution anymore. This is really, I think, about being very thoughtful about how we're going to provide the care and also prioritizing. I think it's important to recognize there is an unlimited amount of things we could do. We cannot do everything. So how are we going to really prioritize or focus, find the things really the most important to patient care? And then also, I think it's really important to think about in terms of the quality especially, what are the best practices that we can do to provide care? And I mean, not just, hey, let's get the antibiotic choices for pneumonia correct, but talk about how we build robust systems that can deliver that care efficiently. There's no longer, you can't tolerate a lot of variations in care. 
you can't tolerate a lot of really inefficient approaches to go after these things. You need really robust systems. And while it takes some time to build those, to put those in place, they pay huge dividends on the back end because, like I say, you just can't just throw more resources at stuff. So we have to be much more thoughtful about going after things. And I'll leave this last thought. One of the things about quality we recognize, even basic stuff, you think about the math. Patients with complications add lengths of stay days. They add more resources. They add more costs. If we can improve our quality, push down those complication rates, that will automatically reduce bed days, open up more capacity, really make the entire process easier, take the burden off of nurses. So it behooves us more than ever before. We have to say, you know, we got to put quality first and take the time to be thoughtful about how we're going to put in systems to deliver it consistently. I would only add on to that is learning how to immobilize teams that are already existing within the organization and really understanding what does the quality department do? How do they interact? What does the CDI do? How are they interacting? What is utilization management, case management? All of those different departments have been in silos within an organization, doing their own goals, carrying their own torch without any communication. So we really have to get to a point where all of them are talking, where they understand how to mobilize together because there's a lot more work that can be done together than doing your own thing in your own silo. You both mentioned that dealing with quality actually decreases the cost of care, but there's also other additional ROIs in quality, aren't there? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, avoidance of penalties for one. I would say that's your first immediate payback for improving quality is you're not going to be penalized. But there are multiple commercial contracts that are piggybacking off of that quality component that CMS put out and utilizing performance from CMS to also carve out dollars that if they don't reach that performance for those commercial patients, they're not going to get that bucket of money there either. So I think we've seen a couple of contracts where you can earn a 3% increase. But if you don't perform these quality metrics that are reported through CMS better, then you cannot actually reach that. That's a huge hit because cost of care is going up. Just your facility fees, the brick and mortar piece of it all is all very expensive. And then utilizing more remote staff to supplement your own staff causes a higher cost of care. And we saw that explode during COVID. So... Rick, Angela mentioned about commercial plans and fines occurring there. Can you elaborate further what we've been learning recently in reference to how commercial plans are now involved in reference to quality? Well, Tom, I think, as Angela alluded to, obviously we know about CMS penalties, the hospital-acquired condition penalties, the value-based purchasing bonuses or penalties, readmissions, all those. So that's been pretty obvious. And I think we can talk in a second about all these other, we call them the soft dollar penalties that bad quality kind of brings to your hospital. But really specifically, it's very clear that all major payers, probably about the private payers now in the U.S., have come back and said, listen, we are going to put some money on the line. We're going to say that the hospitals are able to deliver better quality. We're going to pay them more. And just on the quick math, it's pretty impressive. It can be one or two or three percent even the annual revenue coming in for a hospital at risk. So you're talking for most hospitals, that's between five and $50 million a year. So it's no longer like, hey, we got to be careful so we don't get a hack penalty. This kind of quality performance is going to affect everything across the board for all of your payers. So we understand that there's actual ROI involved with quality, not to mention the obvious that we want to provide best care for our patients. But the elephant in the room, if you will, has to do with workforce. So how do we address workforce? Well, I think that's the million dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, more than a million, actually. I think probably <laughs> yeah. several million dollars yeah. at this point. Yeah. hundred billion dollar question, I think, probably so. I think if we hear that once on calls, we hear it a thousand times a day. And it's the small hospitals, it's the large hospitals, it's everybody. I remember years ago, we had a big push in the U.S. for nurses in nursing schools. Do we get back to that? I think that's something we're going to have to consider as a country. Doctors are also in short supply 
uh, in the U.S. as well. That strategy to have mid-level providers is to help the doctors out. But truly, those are advanced practice nurses that take nurses off the floor again. So we're going to have to be intentional in the U.S. for figuring this workforce piece out and incentivizing folks to actually stay at a certain level for a certain period of time so they get experience. We used to do that, I guess, the early 90s. We used to have nurses that had to stay on the floor for two years before they could be in a critical care area. That doesn't apply anymore because we don't have enough people. So we have brand new nurses that are coming out. And while they may be great in school, we all know it's different taking care of an actual patient and applying what you know to what you see in a patient. It's not always straight book learning Mm -hmm. that applies to what lays in the bed in front of you, which makes it a challenge for both new doctors and new nurses. And Tom, if I can follow up with Angela saying, I'm surprised that every night on the evening news, why there isn't the lead story being this catastrophe that's unfolding in terms of staffing in U.S. hospitals. It's more than just saying, hey, we're short a few nurses. This is a fundamental generational problem that's going to affect mm-hmm. every person in this country because this isn't about how we're going to find enough people to staff this. This is about really fundamental breakdowns in our entire care system. This is about nurses in the hospital and techs like we talked about, but this is people to staff skilled nursing facilities. This is about physical therapists in private setting. This is about primary cares. There is this incredibly huge emerging problem we just don't talk about very much. And again, in terms of what Angela was saying, we need like a moonshot. We need a series of moonshots, basically, with that kind of focus and dedication and effort to say, we're going to go after this aggressively. We need to find 500,000 new nurses in the next two, three, four years. We need to find an equal number of techs and respiratory therapists and pharmacy techs. We need to find several hundred thousand more physicians because there's so many looking to retire in the next few years. I mean, this is going to be a huge problem for every person in this country. And for some reason, we're just not talking about it very much. Right. I think access to care is really going to start affecting all of us. I think as people age and age out of the workforce, there isn't anybody taking their place. So we're going to have to figure out how to make this an enticing, I would say, career because people are getting into it and immediately getting out of it as well. So there's a lot that's going to have to change in our healthcare system. It's more about, I would say, staff care, doctors. How are we going to get people to stay in the field? How do we do that? I would also like to add about having people work up top of license. This is a term we've been using in the industry for decades, oh, yeah. but we haven't, quite frankly. And I think now is the time to actually take that seriously, where everybody understands where they are within the swimming lanes to an extent. Not everybody needs to be seen by a doctor. They just need the right kind of provider. So not only our APPs, but also using our clinical pharmacists. Dietitians are going to be key going into the future. Food is medicine. Oh, sure, sure. In addition to little things that we're seeing where people are relinquishing responsibility, early ambulation has become a major issue in many of our hospitals right now. We're just not moving our patients. Yeah, it's huge. And we're seeing that these patients are then requiring to go into SNPs, where then this just vicious cycle is continuously to go. So those are areas I would like to add up. I would agree. I would agree. Angela and Rick, great discussion. And we'll continue in our next episode. And to our listeners, you can contact Rick or Angela in their email addresses in the resource section of our podcast page. If you have any additional questions pertaining to modern practice or simply want to send us your comments, please contact me in our email, modernpracticepodcast at vizientinc.com. We've posted a link in our resource section. And please join us for other Modern Practice Podcasts. Subscribe today, like us, or send us your comments. I'm Dr. Tom Villanueva. Thank you so much for listening.